0: Hey there, I'm Solejo, and you're listening to the Extra Spicy Podcast. If you haven't heard yet, Bravo's cooking competition show, Top Chef, just started season 19. That means a new batch of chefs is overthinking, underseasoning, and dropping onions all over the Top Chef kitchen in Houston, Texas, trying to create food that both wows the judges and stays true to who they are. Ah, My guest today knows that stress very well.
1: It kind of messes with your minds, in a way. There were some episodes that they did like my food. I just wasn't on the top, you know. But for us, it was like, this is the wrong thing to do. I can't cook my food. They don't understand me. Well, let me just go back to, you know, the classics, the French cuisine and Italian and see where that takes me, Well, that, you know, beat me the ass.
0: Nelson Herman competed on Top Chef Portland last year, and he's the chef and owner of two restaurants in Oakland, the casual Caribbean seafood spot Alamar and Sobre Mesa, A vivacious cocktail lounge that opened nine days before the first pandemic lockdown.
1: Honestly, we all thought it was only going to last two weeks, right? Maybe it's just a nice little break, but then it became longer and longer and and became a year. So it was really devastating.
0: So Remesa survived that brutal first year. And when I reviewed it last spring, it was thriving. It's a place with a vibe. Leafy Monstera plants, pink lighting, potent cocktails spiked with Dominican rums and bar snacks that highlight Afro-Latino flavors. For Nelson, it's about more than showing folks a good time. Although, you know, he does. He's on a mission to celebrate the cuisines of the African diaspora and show kids growing up in Oakland or even Washington Heights that their food belongs in the pantheon of culinary greats. We get into that on today's episode with a surprisingly heartwarming peek behind the scenes in the Top Chef kitchen. Here's my conversation with Nelson Herman. So you're originally from New York, which is very cool.
1: Yeah, born and raised, Washington Heights.
0: So what are you doing out here?
1: Been in the Bay for 13 years now. Uh, my wife is from Oakland. Um, we met in New York. And once we got engaged, she was like, you're coming out west. I want to close to my family, you know. And, and I, honestly, at that time, I was kind of ready to move. Uh, she got me into traveling. So when you travel, it opens up your eyes to, to, to change and, and see there's something different out in the world. New York is so massive. New York is like its, it's own world in itself. There's so many cultures there, so many things to do. Everything goes so fast. It, you can get tired of it and, and you can finally see that there's other ways of living life and actually having a life, you know, mm-hmm. having a nice mm-hmm. balance, even in this industry. Instead of working 90 hours a week, like I used to in New York, nonstop, I'm at least doing 70 here and still <laughs> having time to you know, <laughs> sleep an extra hour or <laughs> actually sit down and take a break. <laughs>
0: So you're saying that the culture out here in the Bay Area is a little more relaxed.
1: Yes, yes. I got to be honest. Definitely it is compared to New York, uh, which is a great thing. You need a work-life balance. It, it keeps you going, keeps you more creative. Um, New York can burn you out really quickly. I was born and raised there, so I have a little extra oomph in me. <laughs> but the Bay Area is really dear to my heart. And it's changed me even to be a better man. You know, mm. learning about my culture, respecting my roots, uh, deeper than the Dominican side. Um, Is due to the Bay Area. And I I give it props.
0: Oh, amazing. I mean, speaking of which, I know that you opened Sobre Mesa, you know, your second restaurant shortly before the pandemic. And, you know, I wrote about it. I loved it. I thought it was like a really amazing concept. Um, (laughs) And just how has it been? Because, God, like, I think. My heart goes out to everyone who opened restaurants like right before things just went completely bananas.
1: So it was literally nine days before the first shutdown. Oh, my God. People really came out and, and supported us and really saved our our business. You know, Soda Mesa was dear my heart because it's kind of the culmination of really, like kind of what I was getting to, really learning about my roots and respecting it and giving tribute to it. And the reason I opened Soda Mesa is to broaden the education of how Afro Latin and, and African ancestry really go together. We're part of the African diaspora and we shouldn't be ashamed of that. You know, we should celebrate that and sort of miss It's a fun place to be, you know, the music, the lighting, the food, the cocktails, everything tells a story. So yeah, when I, we had to shut it started down, it was really sad. And you know, at that time, honestly, we all thought it was only going to last two weeks, right? right? That's what they were telling us. So it wasn't like two. I was like, okay, it's going to be two weeks. Maybe it's just a nice little break. We can kind of <laughs> see what, what went wrong, what went right. And and smooth things out. But then it became longer and longer and and became a year. Um, So it was really devastating. But we survived and and things are going really well right now.
0: I'm so glad to hear that. So have you had to deal much with feelings of shame about being Afro-Latino?
1: Yes. Yes. Unfortunately, because of the older generation and just being brainwashed um, Mm. in Dominican Republic, even in New York, it's just like being ashamed of the Black side, especially in Dominican Republic. uh, Old regime was really Kind of just letting people know, like, don't think this way. the The African side is not us. That was just slaves. We're part of the Spanish diaspora mm. with Spain and the Taínos. We're just Hispanics, nothing else. So, you know, growing up, it was like we're we're not the same people, but we really are. You know, and it's it's easy to see now, growing up and, and being older, and really reflecting and and really diving into to our history, and it, it's there. It's, it's in the food, especially for one. Um, Well, the cool stews and the plantains and and the cassava, the jukas, it, it's it's there, you know, it's it's obvious. And also in the clothing, the the music, like Meringa came from those tribal songs and tribal music you used to do in, in Western Africa. But we understand there's no way of getting mad of our elders and all that. But now it's up to us and this new generation and, and and my generation to really give tribute to that and not be ashamed and keep you know celebrating that history and that part of us. Because it made us who we are.
0: So, why did you decide on food as a way to sort
1: of express that? So, food was always a hobby for me growing up. It wasn't a passion until probably at the age of 18, 19, um, when I really knew what I was meant for this. But it was always something that this curiosity about it. And I think it's the creative side of it and the art form of it. It wasn't just like, oh, let me make some delicious food. It was something else um, that really attracted me to it. You know, like for me, honestly, what I really wanted to do back in the days growing up is a movie producer. I want to be a producer. <laughs> And it's crazy to think about it now. Like, it's, it's an art form of creating, like, you know, movies and TV and all that. And there, there's a big production side of it. And it's, it's a great art form, just like food. They kind of went hand in hand. The way I got into food is it's kind of a funny story. Just me and my boys just coming out of a nightclub, the world famous Copacabana back in the days in New York, they had a restaurant inside. So it was this beautiful nightclub. It was our first nightclub, you know, going out, as you finally hit that, that age. Um, cause they were allowing 18 year olds at a time. Of course you can't drink, but, uh, growing up where <laughs> I grew up, we, you find a way. <laughs> so right. we were pretty, we we're pretty toasty. We started pointing at each other. Like, and, and when they pointed at me, they were like, you're the best cook out of the group, you should do the restaurant. You know, like, and, and each one of us had a department, but for some reason I took it really seriously and I signed <laughs> up for culinary school the next day. And just like, it just happened. And I'm, I've been in the industry ever since. And it's crazy to see. It could be the craziest moment in your life, something that's just could be funny. It could be sad An emotion, like emotional day or, or moment, And it can lead to what you're meant to do in life. I've been in it 23 years, you know, it's the love of my life. It's my passion. Um, it's pretty crazy. <laughs>
0: yeah. Wow. Well, first of all, I can't wait to read your rendition of that scene in your memoir. Eventually, <laughs> I think it'll be really fun. Or like the biopic, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> your conflation of like filmmaking with restaurants is so resonant just because, I mean, that's how I see it as a critic. Like I find in a restaurant, just like in a movie, everything that you see is a result of someone's choice, you know? Um, And part of the fun of watching a movie or going to a restaurant is like trying to understand like what those choices add up to and like what that director or, you know, restaurateur is trying to say with their work I would love to hear more just about how your intentions kind of came, guide you as a restaurateur, as, as a chef. Um, what what are the big takeaways that you want diners to to have when they eat at Sobremesa or Alamar?
1: Everything has to tell a story. It has to lead to the, this vision, this philosophy of how you want people to feel when they eat here. For me, the main thing is to make people feel at home. You have to feel like you're going to somebody's house. And it's part of my culture, we, that's what we do. We, you want to be comforted, you know, comfort food. is It's it's a real thing, no matter what cuisine it comes from. That's the number one thing I want out of Alamar. Like for Alamar, it was a first baby. We're actually hitting eight years of uh, being open on May 1st of this year, which is insane. And thanks to the community for keeping us uh, afloat. But this place is like that neighborhood corner, kind of homey restaurant. Everyone knows okay. each other. Any new people come in, the people who are regulars will kind of greet them and like act like they're part of the team, uh, which is really cool to see. And it's funny because when we first opened, a lot of people in the neighborhood thought we were too fancy. Mm. You know, it was kind of that time where Edison lights were really, you know, kind of in trend, but also (laughs) kind of love hate relationship with it. Right. People see the Edison lights and they think, oh, this place is going to be too expensive. And they wouldn't even come in. But then it's just like throughout the years, people like came in here and saw, "Okay, this is cool. This is casual. It just it looks nice and sexy, but it, I can feel like I can bring my kids here, I can have a date night, I can feel any type of way. You know, when you walk into Sora Mesa, you feel like you're on vacation. You can mm-hmm. get away from all the craziness of the world and just like just decompress, you know, and have fun. Soromesa is the place like it's the evolution of who I become and really diving into my roots. Because again, with the Afro-Latin side and people not knowing too much about it or or being ashamed of it. Um I wanted to broaden it up. I wanted to show the fun positive side of it. Like we shouldn't be ashamed. This is who we are. We're fun loving. There's good music in the background, bright lights, dim, dim, cool, sexy feel, that cocktails and the food are telling a really cool story, showcasing like Afro Latin but also Pan African cuisine. So really tying into the African side, which mm-hmm. is predominantly in our food. And and just telling that cool story, making it fun. Mm-hmm. So it kind of like both places really like make you feel kind of at home, but one is like you're going on vacation, one you're going to somebody's house.
0: Mm. Yeah, and on that note of home and comfort, you know, we're a few years out from 2020 and I know that you've talked to my colleague, Justin Phillips, a lot about this and like kind of what happened that year. There's so much, especially like a huge sort of lens on Black culture and Black communities um, in 2020. Like how did your sense of like, your restaurants and just like the role you had in the community shift? I mean, did it shift at all in 2020 with like all the protests and just all the kind of conversations that were happening um, just broadly?
1: What it really did is really gave me time to really give back even more to community. Mm. I wanted to be that person and place that we want to comfort people even more outside of the restaurant. Mm -hmm. You know, like we always gave back to charity. We always did a lot for community, but never in the grand scale that we did during the shutdowns. We fed a lot of people, you know, we, we did world central kitchen. We did the initiative. We're the only ones doing that represent the whole Bay area, feeding laid off restaurant workers, uh, which is really special to me. We did East Bay feed which is, um, feeding the frontline workers, nurses, doctors, people were really there, you know, saving our lives and, and kind of putting their lives on the line for, for a lot of us and giving them some sort of comfort and hope to them, you know, and it wasn't just a hot meal. It was also like home essentials. The toilet papers that were out of the stores we had little donation which we gave out water coffee things that people really needed at home that meant a lot to me it's that time of like let's not be sad and, and just think about the business let's think about other people even more and give as much as we can because for me in my culture like you always have to give back because when you need that that community they're going to come back and save you it, everything goes full circle and that's exactly what happened like I didn't want to give up I don't give up at all that's not who I am uh, that's not part of my culture and 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 who we are as a people we just keep keep doing what we have to do and keep hustling and keep grinding but also always keep giving back and we're, we're fortunate that the community came back to to get back to us and kept us afloat.
0: So I wanted to talk about also your turn on reality TV um but first of all did you feel that sense of community like when you were on top chef did you feel supported by oakland and the bay area
1: oh yeah tremendously tremendously i was the only one from california too which is Mm. crazy so it was a lot more pressure but the way the town came for me like me Mm. saying it on tv like i'm repping the town i mentioned the town on tv and people like going crazy you know the way people support me and talk about me here is like I'm the adopted son of Oakland's cuz you know usually when people aren't from Oakland they're they kind of shun you a little bit right mm, mm. but when you're when you're there for the town you mm. give back to the town and really respect what Oakland's about and its history they love you and they they'll be there to support you and that's that's everything for me you know like the minute I stepped into Oakland's I felt at home and Oakland gave me my first restaurant it made my dreams come true you know even like watching myself on TV the first time I saw the first episode we did a watch party at Sobrey and people showed out. We were packed and mm. watching the show. We had a couple TVs around, and I just started crying, you know. After at, at mm-hmm. the end, like people just, you know, clapping and, and saying we love you and then, like, thank you for for repping the town. And it was that first episode when I mentioned it, and just this feeling like like wow, like after all these years, finally having some kind of recognition. Because as chefs, you know, back in the days it, we weren't rock stars. Rock mm-hmm. chefs were just like in the kitchen. We were always stuck there. We didn't want to come out. A lot of people didn't know who we are unless you had a large PR team. And it was all just food. It it was a way to like express ourselves. That's the only way we can talk. Now with so many eyes on chefs with social media and TV, it's an eye-opening thing. It's overwhelming for a lot of us because a lot of us are um, introverts. But now like, we have to come out, especially when you're a restaurateur. People have to know who you are. You have to be there for, for your guests. You have to be there to tell the story. You have to open up. You know, and, and that day when the show came out and we watched it and the way people came out to support, I knew like, this is huge, but the work is not done. Now I need to push forward even more, keep pushing forward the culture, keep giving back more to community. Like that's, that's the way I changed coming out the show. It, it's not about me anymore. You know, it's about other people and keeping the the city in a positive light and food is the best way to do that.
0: You're listening to the Extra Spicy Podcast. We'll be right back after the break. You can support this podcast and the newsroom that creates it by subscribing to the San Francisco Chronicle at sfchronicle.com slash pod.
1: This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you.
0: I'm Solejo, and we're back with Chef Nelson Hermann. You're speaking with me from your restaurant dining room. You're not in like some VIP section <laughs> or, you know, a lot of people take celebrity in like different directions. You know what I mean? Like, I think it can be easy to take it in a, in a different direction. You could just not cook for the rest of your life if you chose to, I would imagine, after being on TV. And I'm guessing from what you just said, you are probably an introvert. Uh, what, I mean, how do you handle this? I'm sure people approach you on the street of the grocery store. It must be a lot.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's definitely a lot. And and for me, like being an introvert all my life, I, I've definitely changed. I opened up more. I, I come out and talk to people when I need to. Um, I'm more social. It's just a, the feeling of love, you know, like when, when, when you have love around you and good vibes, it's easy to open up. It's, it's hard to kind of shun away when it comes to that. Like, so it, it's, it's an amazing feeling, like feeling like I can finally be myself. I can not be ashamed of being a quiet person. And being shy, like just be out there, be out there to promote, not just yourself, but your businesses, what you're about and what you're, what you're striving to do. And for me, it's like, you know, this person I become now is it's about community, community first. And because of, of the work that we have to do and, and changing things to make things more safer, more inclusive everywhere in not just in this industry, but in the world, you have to be out there. You can't just be shown the way at home or behind the kitchen. You have to be out doing the work and talking and educating and mentoring. You know, that's a big thing for me. Mentoring the the youth who want to be in this business, who didn't see a lot of people like me or or people who are darker skin in this industry um, having some good recognition. One thing I wanted to talk about, too, is like now as people of color, we can be ourselves a little more in our kitchen. You know, as chefs, we back in the days, we can only do things that were European food, right? That's the only way to become a top chef, become well known. Now we can. I can do Dominican. I can do Afro Latin. I can do Pan African. I can dive into my own roots and cook food that makes me happier. Now people in, who are in this industry who are young can really feel like they can make a career out of it and have opportunities. You know, opportunities that weren't given in the past. So it's it's a different mindset I'm in now. You know, it's really special.
0: So I wanted to talk about that dynamic actually that you that you mentioned of just cooking the food that, that really represents you and that that really is close to your heart. I know on the show, that was sort of a tension, right? That was sort of the thing that that ended up sending you home was, well, one, you were injured. Like that was a huge part of it and kind of out of your mind, I'm guessing. And you made like, you know, a dish that didn't feel, didn't feel like you, didn't feel right. I was surprised to see even you could be susceptible to that way of thinking of like, you know, maybe if I wasn't, I was doing something else, something fancy or something air quotes elevated, like I would be approved of. So uh, can you tell me about, I guess, anything you've learned from that experience?
1: That's the biggest life lesson. Like just be me, cook the food that you want to do, food that makes you happy. Because honestly, if I look back at it, I was, I was doing fine. I was a lot of times in the middle or just like shied away from, from the top. And I was in a safe place. It was the first time in a big competition it kind of messes with your mind in a way that because you're not getting feedback, even though you're in the middle, like you're doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. Even if you thought you were doing something right, you know, and looking back, there were some episodes that they did like my food. I just wasn't on the top and that's okay. You know, but for us, it was like, Oh man, I'm, I'm doing something wrong. This, this is the wrong thing to do. And I can't cook my food. They don't understand me. Uh, let me just go back to, you know, the classics, the French cuisine and Italian and see where that takes me, where that, you know, bit me, bit me the ass, uh, especially the, especially the orchard challenge. That's, that's when I was like, my mind was going a little crazy because the a previous challenge was a pan African, one, which was really personal to me and personal to a lot of us of color who are on the show. So we all want to be on the top. You know, like we were like, this is our food. There's no way some of these white chefs <laughs> are going to be above us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it was like this chip on our shoulder that really like became bigger during that episode. And because I didn't hear anything and I was on the top, I was like, fuck, like, I knew this thing was delicious. This didn't get me to the top. I must be doing something wrong. Mm. So it messes with you, you know, and you try to be like, OK, I have to just go back and just cook food that we learned in the past that is seen as high end or the best food in the world. Um, but that wasn't it. They they really wanted us to cook our food, and I was doing okay. And just that one episode just messed me up. And I got hurt on the on the orchard too. I was running kitchen shoes with there was holes everywhere, uh, tweaking my knees. It was it was a mess. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't. I don't know where I was. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, uh, I was sorry to see that. I mean, would you do it again?
1: I think so. A, a lot of a lot of people won't. It, it's funny because it really like. It messes with you, but I think it made me better—maybe a better chef, maybe a better person. And now I know the game. Plus, I didn't get a last chance. You know, usually there have been past winners, Kristen Cash and Amar, who have gone from Last Chance Kitchen to being in the finals or actually winning this, uh, the competition. So I, it I feel like, damn, I didn't get one last chance. I, I, I want it. You know. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was like, okay, I, I, I will say yes. I will say yes. <laughs>
0: Are you gonna be making the reality TV circuit? Am I gonna see you on the Kardashians? No, no,
1: definitely, not. definitely <laughs> not. Even though I'm more open, I'm not that open.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there's a lot to worry about too, because reality TV, as as I hope many people realize, is not reality. Um, yeah. yeah. Like, uh, was it? I mean, I don't know. It just feels like it could be a really uncomfortable experience if you are worried about what people think of you, and you know. What if you ended up being the villain?
1: Yeah, there was always in our minds, like, you know, because with reality TV, there's always drama, right? Um, (laughs) Uh And Honestly, they they, did try to cause drama (laughs) because we we filmed during the height of the pandemic. Right. So that was one thing. We were all really like down and out. We were all hurting. Basically, A lot of us were business owners. A lot of us had to close our restaurants. We weren't in the right mind. We weren't in our creative, like, mind frame. We were just thinking about our businesses. What's going to happen? There was still protesting going on, especially in Portland. We're still dealing with the fires. It was actually worse up there than compared to California. Like I was, it was insane. Stay in the hotel, you couldn't see the other block. Oof. That's how thick the, the, the smoke was. So we're all in this feeling like the world is 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 ending and we're here in this building. And we can't even call our loved ones. We can't call our businesses and check up on it. What is going on? All we had was each other. So, we, we already had this bond that, that because we're so down about life, that just being with each other and, and having somebody to talk to that's your peers and our other chefs was this bonding moment for us. And we didn't, because of that, we didn't let the drama, you know, like come out or be shown. And we were all ourselves. And that's the thing for me, like watching the show, I was happy that, and that people would tell me all the time, like, you were you, like, there was nothing different about you. You know, they didn't make you seem like uh, you were who you are. (laughs) Right. And that's all I was happy about. The way we're helping each other, I was genuine and natural. We just wanted to be there for each other. You know, even though we knew that we were in this competition, we just wanted to help. And that's who we all are. It was all love. You know, like it was just feeling of like where we were around each other. Like we felt, we felt happy. We felt comforted. Mm. And I, people saw that on the show. Like that's what people talk about our season. You know, like they saw the camaraderie, they saw the love uh, and the bonds, which is really special.
0: You mentioned earlier that the celebrity chef era is, you know, I I think it kind of peaked probably in like the 2000s. Yeah. But we still have those sort of, you know, TV shows that elevate people to, you know, national recognition and all of that. What do you hope people do with those platforms?
1: Honestly, it's like just being myself, mentoring the youth giving back to community, representing, you know, giving more representation with whatever I do and, and always lift others with me. It's not about me, honestly. It's just about, it's all of us and and fighting back the injustices and, and showing love wherever we can and just making people happy. That's what food is about, right? It's the one thing that really unites people no matter what, no matter how you feel about other cultures or other type of races. If, if you love the food, it comforts you, it makes you happy, it makes you more open so it, it's a gateway to true love it, It's food for me you know and that that's the way i see it and you know that's the work that we need to do
0: well thank you so much for giving me your time i know you're so busy with your two restaurants and everything else and i'm sure all the the commercial deals book deals all the things that are coming your <laughs> way so thank you so much i nelson. appreciate
1: that i appreciate that so and, and thank you for all the work you do
0: thanks again to nelson herman for chatting today Today's episode was produced and edited by Karen Creighton with help from executive producer Sarah Feldberg. If you're enjoying Extra Spicy, please tell a friend about it and give it a rating on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening.